Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we're kind of at the point where hopefully um, Pennsylvania is wrapping down the, the corona things here as we're recording this a couple of days before it actually will be released here. But it looks like we're going to open up society here a little bit. And, and I know that personally my job has been able to slowly kind of see the daylights creak out from underneath the rock and I'm looking around and I'm seeing that there are wildly different opinions in very short spaces about why we did this was it necessary and personally I believe it'll take years before all of the information is ever fully vetted and articulated But as I'm looking around and seeing people who with wildly different opinions from this being something that wasn't really a big deal to something that we needed to shut all of our lives off for, I'm kind of seeing that the common thread between them, or at least a common thread, that is dictating the aminosity, depending upon which side of the fence you're on, is essentially the perceived relationship with death. And that's something that as a culture, we really don't talk about very much. And I wanted to use this space here because what I've noticed is people who are more comfortable and accepting that death is part of our lives tended to be a little bit less freaked out about the whole Corona as a threat versus those who are very afraid of death and and all of that. So I wanted to talk about that because obviously when we talk about the religion in Christ, him overcoming death is something that we say a lot. I mean, that's the point of the resurrection. That is the miracle of the resurrection in part. So obviously death's an important part of our faith. And I wanted to just take a couple minutes here in today's episode to talk about it, talk about why or why not it should be scary and kind of put in a proportion to our lives because we know we're going to die, but is it something that we should walk around and dread all the time? Is it something that we should just arrogantly accept? And these are the kinds of questions that I have bubbling out from an observation of just witnessing how people around me, both far and near, have reacted to this COVID situation. Well, you make an interesting observation, Joe, and, and certainly our relationship with death uh, does play a, a critical role because that's the greatest threat of the pandemic. Yeah, the worst thing it can do is kill us. And uh, Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but be afraid of those who can kill the body and destroy the soul, uh, cast the soul into Gehenna. You know, So um, getting the proportion of those things right is uh, is certainly crucial. Uh, we can call death, a, you know, it's a kind of natural evil. It's uh, God did not intend death, and so it's a consequence in some some way or another of the fall. And and we do fear it. It's sort of the greatest physical evil or natural evil uh, that, and it's the worst that that uh, can be done to us in this, in this life, you know, um, but, uh, but as St. Paul says, you know, all of the sufferings of this life are as nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And, 
it's that glory that we only glimpse in hope. We only glimpse in faith. And that's why it sometimes seems less real. Death is before our eyes. The glory is more in our imagination. We see it more clearly with our imagination than our eyes. Our eyes don't glimpse the glory. Our, our eyes only see the realities before us, the, the passing realities of this world. And so our eyes deceive us in that sense. They, they tell us that the passing realities of this world are more real than the glory that awaits us in heaven, than the reality of God who is not seen, who is invisible. And that's that deception that our eyes offer really misleads us in terms of how we handle uh, these kinds of situations or how we live our lives. And so there's a real temptation to live fully rooted in this world and only for this world. And so we build up our own little kingdom, we create our own empires, we try to find uh, uh, securities that are in our own control, we try to insulate ourselves against any kind of uh, bad things happening in terms of this world. And in, in doing all of that, it's, it's an effort in futility. No matter what we do, no matter how powerful we become, we can't actually defeat death. Death always remains the victor in this life. It is the prince of this world. It is the power of the prince of this world. And so uh, our, our efforts are futile to overcome death in this world. The only way we can overcome death is by the one who has defeated sin and death, by his blood shed for us on the cross. And so if we don't have that avenue, then it puts, us, it puts people in a very difficult situation to face the reality and the unconquerability of death and the the pandemic really uh, scared us that way at the outset because we saw a lot of people dying suddenly, unexpectedly, uh, and and unstoppably. And so it uh, caused all of this fear in us that this was going to take over. Uh, those people of faith, again, and, you know, and, uh, there was this very delicate tension in terms of people of faith because we don't, on the one set, we we don't, on the one hand, want to say, "Oh, it doesn't matter." Well, no, of course it matters. People's death matters. People's life and suffering and all of that, it matters. It's just not the ultimate reality. It's not the thing that matters the most. And I like to think in terms of value hierarchies because we want to place life and health at a fairly high level in our value hierarchy. It's, it is really important. It does matter. And we want to do a lot to provide for life and health and uh, relative success in the context of this world for uh, a certain level of security. All of those things are important and they, they deserve a relatively high place in our value hierarchy, but they don't deserve the ultimate place. And that's where that little difference actually makes a huge difference. What we put in the ultimate place in our value hierarchy is what we worship ultimately. And if we put anything there except for the living God who is the Lord of life and the victor over sin and death, if we put him in the ultimate place, then we can accept the loss of things lower in the value hierarchy because we never lose him. But if we put life and health in the ultimate place, then we're really in danger because we can't ultimately protect them. It's, those are not a God that we can uh, really worship. And so we make an idol out of those things. And that makes a very different level of fear. We, we fear things that we can't defeat, ultimately. Fear is a sign that we are afraid we won't be able to defeat it. Hope is the sign that we will be able to overcome and achieve the good. 
And so whether we face suffering with hope or whether we face suffering only with fear is, is a sign of, of where our value hierarchy is. And uh, adjusting that is more than just uh, applying our will and trying harder. You know, there's, there's an inner transformation that has to take place. But, but the point is we can detect some of the symptoms and start to address those, those deeper underlying problems. And one of the things that I got from what you said there is a, a kind of a back thought that I had to this is that the glory of the of God comes in this life, but primarily after our sufferings of our life. So therefore, after our death, and we know just from people around us that some people have an ability to sacrifice today for a long term future. And this is in essence, is the ultimate example of that, that you're going to have to deal with, you know, sacrifices, dealing with hardships to see the, the, the glory of God, as you said, with the scripture there. And as far as, as seeing the, the God in the center of our lives, I mean, obviously that's a goal of, of this cast is, is to bring people there. We also, I, like you said, it's not that we diminish life. I mean, virtually every social doctrine of the church is about life and preserving life. And it's so you can't come out and say that, Oh, we just can't wait to die. In fact, we should kill people sooner so they can get to God. No, we're actually teaching the exact opposite that life is sacred and that being in good health is important. And then there's a peace that comes to people and you know, I think that anyone who's been into a funeral home or, or at a funeral can see this. And obviously you've been to many more funerals than I have presiding over them. And that you can see that there's just a certain people who have that hope that something's going to be better. It doesn't take the loss away or or the pain of, of them going mm-hmm. away. But it almost brings a a more calm that the next day will be able to face it and be able to be better off versus no belief and just utter fear and loss. And I wanted to kind of talk about that element of it because I think that there's a, a lot of fear around that particular element for those who not necessarily talking about our own death at this point, but seeing those die around us and the value within that. Uh, and I, I love what you said, Joe. I want to emphasize it because I think it's so important. While we hold the ultimate value of eternal life, it doesn't mean that we don't suffer when there's death. And it doesn't mean that we desire death uh, really at all. I mean, in the sense that uh, we don't want to kill people. We don't want people to die. Uh, but we know it's a necessary passageway. And so when the time comes and we have to leave God as the Lord of life and death, we can't take those matters into our own hands. And, and so we, we trust those things to God and trust in his timing. Uh, it's, and, and that's his commandment. You, thou shalt not kill. Uh, we, it's, it's not permissible. It's bad for us to uh, take into our own hands, to substitute ourselves for God in deciding who lives and who dies. So we can't do that. We're not the, the masters of life and death. But we can accept death with uh, the pain of loss. And 
I like to think of things in kind of simple ways. Uh, when we look at our emotions, sadness, you know, the sadness is being in the presence of evil. Uh, and evil, we, we anyway, to make that a simpler concept, evil is the deprivation of the good. So something that's not supposed to be. And really, in essence, death is not supposed to be. It's the deprivation of the good of life. There's a loss of the good of life. And so when we're there and we can't overcome it, we know that it's a reality that we have to accept and it makes us sad. We grieve it. And that's absolutely appropriate. That's a very reasonable uh, emotional response. And so we should grieve that evil of death, that loss of the good. Uh, at the same time, we face that evil with hope. We allow hope to commingle with the sadness, and the hope is for a greater good, the greater good of eternal life, that our loved one is with the Lord. And we can have both of those things at the same time. We can have hope and sadness. The hope doesn't have to suppress the sadness in order to exist. The sadness doesn't have to be stronger than the hope, but they really can commingle. And, and that's the ultimate, that's really the Christian response to death is a real sadness. There is sadness in parting. But we uh, unite in hope that we will see our loved ones again. That's a paraphrase of what's at the end of the funeral rite. Uh, there is a sadness in parting. There's a sadness in this loss. And we should feel that. We should allow ourselves to feel that, to let that sadness enter into our hearts. But together with the hope, and, and that's, a, I think, the key. And that has a way of expanding our hearts emotionally. And the, the hope is... Uh, really supernatural. Uh, there isn't there isn't exactly a natural hope that somehow, I guess the natural hope is that we'll be able to manage, you know, get along in life or something like that. But it's really a supernatural hope. It's a hope that's placed in God, whom we believe in faith overcomes death through the crucifixion. And so it's really a supernatural hope that commingles with that sadness. And allowing ourselves to feel that expands our hearts and our capacity for sadness, which is a good thing. It's a human emotion, and, and the one who can feel sadness is more alive, is more fully human. Uh, now, we should be able to feel the whole range of emotions, not just sadness. That would be uh, very melancholic. There are people who major in sadness, and that can be fine too. But anyway, allowing ourselves to feel that sadness expands the heart. It, it expands our humanity. But at the same time, in entering into the hope, the supernatural hope, expands our faith, expands our uh, those, those infused virtues, the theological virtues, as we place more and more trust in God. And to put an analogy to what you're saying there, as far as being willing to feel an emotion, and to feel one emotion inherently requires you to be in depth with other ones. So to feel sadness, you also have to be able to feel joy. So think of it as a roller coaster. If you're only just leveling at one plane, it wouldn't really be that exciting but to have the ups and the downs and to feel the full range of life is what makes makes the roller coaster better. And to go off the step before what you were saying, that feeling sadness is normal, it's not saying that you have less hope or that you're not believing in what the outcome is. I know that I have seen, obviously I haven't been to as, every funeral in the world, but I, I've seen it. There's a segment of people who have this mentality that if I bring sadness, that it somehow is saying that I don't have faith or that the person who died didn't have faith. 
and therefore questioning anything is essentially damning the whole process. And that is explicitly not what you said. And I wanted to take a minute because I feel like those times attitudes around death just create problems that have a ripple effect that is never good. Yeah. And if I can just say, you know, in general, you make such a great point, Joe, and I'm so grateful for that because I I would say in general, we have to be so careful about judging our emotions, (laughs) you know, let them be what they are. First of all, observe them. And, and so uh, rather than, you know, you should have more of this or you shouldn't have more of that. You you know, I try not to use should and emotions together. I did that a couple of times, even as I was describing this and I was trying to correct that in my own mind, but just to say, first of all, let's be careful about judging our emotions or trying to force our emotions to be something else. So I, I come back to this and I say it over and over again in the words of St. Thomas Aquinas, the intellect does not rule over the emotions like a master over a slave. The way that we control our emotions is different than the way we control our hand. You know, when I tell my hand to move, my hand moves. When I tell my emotions to move, sometimes they, they push against exactly what I want. So. We just can't control our emotions that way. We can, he says, rather, we we rule over them like a noble ruler over free citizens. They're going to do what they want to do. And we can guide them, or or like Conrad Barr says, they're like little children. We have to take them by the hand. To be so gentle with those emotions. So first of all, not to judge any of that. Um, and, and part of what you're saying, Joe, and I'm reemphasizing that, is this idea like I need to suppress my sadness and I need to force this kind of uh, artificial hope that I'm generating out of my willpower because I'm Christian and I'm supposed to believe this. <laughs> like, no, 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 you do damage to yourself. Uh, allow these things to unfold. And, and then as you observe them, say, oh, look, there's sadness there. I can pour into that. I can reinforce that. I can reinforce the sadness. At the same time that I want to, I can make acts of faith and I can say, I believe that my Redeemer lives. I believe in eternal life. You know, that's really what the funeral rites are helping us to do. For Christians, life is changed, not ended. We're reinforcing the, the truths of faith. And that naturally has, a, it allows hope to expand in our hearts. And that, that, again, kind of commingles with the sadness. So just always being very gentle with uh, what's happening in us emotionally. I know for myself... I just dispositionally, I, uh, and I don't, I'm not a person that's uh, prone to a lot of sadness. My, my sadness emotions are, are just temperamentally not as strong. And then growing up, I, I never really had occasion to reinforce that. So my, my sadness emotions have really grown over the past 20 years of monastic life. I've, I've reinforced them, kind of encouraged them. Oh, good. Oh, I'm, I'm getting some tears. I'm feeling some sadness. And I, I kind of encourage those emotions to feel that way when it's, when it's reasonable, you know? So anyway, always being very careful with ourselves emotionally. But yes, yeah, certainly not to suppress sadness as if it's somehow unchristian or a sign of lack of faith. And I'd like to give an illustration from a great doctor of the church, one of my favorites, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He's tremendous. He was, a, he was a monk who had incredible faith when the stricter form of Benedictines called the Cistercians were being formed in um, 1108 uh, AD. I think that's right. Or maybe it was 1098 that they were formed and he joined in 1108. Anyway, very early on, the early 1100s, the stricter form of Benedictines was forming. And uh, St. Bernard 
was captivated. He came from a family of knights in shining armor where chivalry was the, the mode of the day. His father was a great knight. His older brothers were great knights. And uh, the nobility of that time was captivating for him. He was a, a man with a great romantic heart. But in the midst of that, he also came from a family of great faith. His mother was a saint, uh, I think literally actually was uh, maybe canonized, at least beatified. And, and a woman of profound faith, and he had a very sensitive disposition, drew a lot from his mother, was captivated by the nobility of faith, being a soldier for Christ, and saw the strict form of monasticism as being the romantic ideal that he was really seeking in uh, the knights and, and chivalry, and was so persuasive that he ended up convincing 32 of his relatives and friends to come with him and they all joined the monastery at the same time. He then founded like a hundred monasteries and a thousand, more than a thousand monks came to follow him, was a charismatic figure. Uh, so a man of tremendous faith and a man of great ideals. That's the big point that I want to draw out. And when his brother died, he was in the middle of a series of sermons on the Song of Songs. And so we have this, there were monks who were diligently taking notes as he was speaking. And we have this whole collection of sermons on the Song of Songs, that book in the Bible. And his brother died and he glossed over the death of his brother. And then in the next sermon, he's in the middle of the sermon and he broke down in tears. And he admitted at that point that he had tried so hard to have enough faith that it would carry him through everything, that he wouldn't be affected by the loss of his brother because he believed his brother was in heaven and because he believed in the resurrection and he thought that he should be able to have enough faith that he wouldn't be affected. He wouldn't have sadness. He wouldn't have any tears. And so he he soldiered through all the funeral rites and never shed a tear. And then he's in the middle of the of his sermon and he broke down in front of all of the other monks and admitted he had terrible grief over the loss of his brother. He loved his brother so much. His brother was his closest friend, and he missed so deeply their conversations, their times together. And without diminishing his faith or his hope in the resurrection an ounce, he was also overcome with that human emotion of sadness. And he celebrated that. He said, I had the wrong idea. But the fact is that human loss is real. Even Christ wept at the loss of his friend Lazarus, Lazarus, and it is appropriate for me to weep over the loss of my brother. So it's a magnificent uh, chapter in the in the history of Christian teaching. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and and I think that pretty much hits as directly as we could to the notion that I, I was trying to bring up there, because we do see people who who still had that misnotion, and then it ends up festering within them and and causing problems down the road um, and one of these things that seems the longer that it festers the bigger the problem is uh, just as basically anytime we have something in our life that we didn't address and we just tried to hide it you know especially when that's on the negative side those ends up being negative results just bigger throughout so I, I would like to kind of conclude this episode again looking at it from the individual's perspective knowing that, that we're going to die so we just mentioned there when someone else surrounds us dies we've mentioned that it's 
a necessary transition essentially from living to the glorification with God and that's going to happen and God should be the one who dictates those terms. Now I kind of wanted to say that being said, what should our own kind of mental and emotional approach to this fact be? So we, we face death with a, you know, a certain human trepidation because we don't know exactly what that's like. Uh, what's that transition like? You know, we don't, we don't get, really get to practice that. Uh, so it's a one-time occasion, <laughs> only die once. And uh, I like to say, you know, the closest we get is actually sleep. We really let go of consciousness in this absolute way in sleep. It's very interesting. So I, I think that is uh, God's way of giving us practice time. So I always encourage people, try to fall asleep every night the way you want to die. So lay down your life in God's hands, practice. And the church's liturgy helps us to do that in night prayer. We, we, our final blessing is may the all, uh, almighty God grant us a restful night and a peaceful death. And we think of that every time at the end of night prayer. But, but we don't get to practice it. We don't know exactly what it's like. So it holds a certain amount of uh, intensity for us. And, and we want to face it. We want to practice as much as we can, thinking of our, our death. And the, that practice is encouraged by St. Benedict in his uh, rule of life for us Benedictine monks. He says, keep death daily before your eyes. So it's a great enemy. You know, and how do we face this enemy? Do we have confidence that we can face this enemy with Christ when we're finally confronted with him, that he won't overcome us? Fear comes from the uncertainty that he will overcome us. And courage, hope comes from the confidence that we have in Christ. So we really want to face death with the power of Christ uh, as best we can and, and keep practicing that. And so that there are beautiful, many beautiful examples from the lives of the saints or of, of when people faced their own death and were able to say, like St. Stephen in the scripture, into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit, quoting those words of Jesus on the cross, um, forgiving his enemies. Uh, I think of the death of Blessed Karl uh, of Austria, whose cause for canonization I'm uh, helping to promote. Uh, Blessed Carl died with the name of Jesus on his lips. Uh, likewise, uh, St. Isaac Jogues and uh, who the other, uh, there were a couple others who were immediately there with him, but they, they really rallied to be able to die with the name of Jesus on their lips. So even though he had just been struck in the head with a tomahawk uh, by one of the Native Americans, he, he, he was Jesus, Jesus, and he, and he wanted to have that kind of presence of mind to call on the name of Jesus. So uh, we want to try to face death with courage. It's natural to be afraid. It's a blessing when people can be with us. We absolutely want to have the sacraments. They're the great reassurance for us of uh, the application of all of God's grace so we can uh, eliminate as much uncertainty as possible. And um, But again, we don't want to get stuck in a feedback loop of saying, oh no, now I'm afraid that I'm afraid. I'm not facing death like I'm supposed to. So eliminate all that stuff. We can't force our emotions that way. But, it's, but by practicing, uh, stirring faith, looking at God with hope, uh, facing our death mentally, uh, those things can really help us to ultimately lay our, our lives into God's hands. 
And what a beautiful way to end today's episode. So again, we thank everyone for listening. We thank you guys for giving us the star reviews. If you have not done that, please do that on whatever site you're listening to our podcast on. And again, please continue to help share us to grow. And we will be with you again here next week.